everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Agency Nation Radio. I am joined, as always, by Marty Agatha. How's it going, Marty? Howdy, Ryan. Great to be here. And today we have uh, part one of a two-part episode. Basically, Marty and I have put together a uh, really cool new presentation on the whole idea of disruption and disruption specifically inside the insurance industry. And Marty wrote a a really excellent post a couple days ago from the release of this podcast uh, called Insurance Industry Disruption. Great article. That kind of framed out a lot of our original ideas and and acted as the foundation of this overall conversation. Uh, but then what we wanted to do was was take it a little further. So if you're if you're live in person, if you're going to the uh, Big Eye Leadership Conference in New Orleans, uh, I guess this week, right? So this will be launching uh, the day that we actually arrive, so uh, September 30th then you'll hear this presentation live. We're giving the presentation live to the Joint Act Young Agents uh, Conference. But uh, we also wanted to share it with everyone else who's not going to be there. So we're going to break it up into two parts so that it's you can digest it. Uh, we're not going to go exactly the way that we will do it in the presentation where there are a few ideas that we actually want to draw out. So through the podcast, you'll probably get a little more insight into these ideas. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a pretty cool thing because uh, this is this idea of disruption is something that uh, you really just have to prepare for. There isn't actionable steps that you can take to like divert it or protect yourself. You really just have to prepare and be willing to adjust. And we're going to talk about all these ideas. Uh, before we get there, Marty, I wanted to share, and I will have this in the show notes for this episode, um, and you can get there, agencynation.com forward slash podcast, and then look for episode number 11. So this is episode number 11. Uh, I shared today a video that I did for Agency Nation, the title of which is Should Content Marketing Focus on Relationships or Leads? And I did, you know, for for YouTube videos, you always want to put a custom thumbnail on there. And if you don't know that, you always want to have a custom thumbnail on your YouTube videos that kind of is a good representation of what people are going to get inside. So I did this like, I guess you could call it cheesy, but it was meant to be that. It was kind of cheesy in a cheeky way where I'm kind of like pointing at the title with a white backdrop and and and, and I thought it was just a nice cover photo, interesting, get people to, to kind of click and watch the video. And I shared it on Twitter this morning. And I share it and I get a, a notification, you know, someone's commented on your photo on Twitter. And the comment is, and this is from a guy by the name of Hugo Topping, who I have no idea who that is. But uh, he said, his comment to me was, at RyanHanley underscore com, that's my Twitter handle, this photo sucks. (laughs) And my response, you know, so that's amazing um, because I guess it takes some cojones to just tell someone straight out that the thing they just shared was terrible. And I said, why is that? And he responds, at RyanHanley underscore com. It is some awful, cheesy stock image that epitomizes the worst of snake oil marketing. And my, I had no other way to respond to him other than, dude, that is me. <laughs> so I just, I'm going to put this, uh, this Twitter conversation into the show notes. You can go there and check it out and just see it. But I guess the reason that I thought it was worth sharing with everyone is that I guess you're, there are always going to be people who hate on what you're doing, right? So this is something that I actually took a couple minutes to make the photo and 
um, it's, it's me. So it's not some cheesy stock photography. Like this is actually me putting something together. I took the time. Um, and I, you know, you still get hated on. And I guess the, the point is one, I don't care what Hugo topping thinks of my photo. And two, uh, if you're getting people to engage and think about things, a lot of times, uh, negative comments are coming from uh, just a, a place of misunderstanding and I'm assuming by the fact that he hasn't now responded to me again that that maybe he feels bad. Like, now that he knows it was me, he's kind of like, oh, well, maybe that's cool or maybe this guy's a geek or whatever. But uh, I think that we just, if we're putting ourselves out into the world, we have to be prepared to get negative comments. And really all you can do is laugh them off, right? Um, this guy thought it was important to let me know that this that my cover photo for this post was terrible. And... I, that's perfectly okay because I'm sure there are other people who find it funny or interesting or just are indifferent to it. And either way, um, you can't get kind of hung up on negative stuff. So I just thought that was interesting. If you want to check it out, go to the show notes, agencynation.com forward slash podcast and look for episode number 11. But Marty, um, you ever been hated on in social media or, or, or a blog or anything like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. As uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we got some pointed comments uh, to my um, second most recent blog post. Um, and you know, I mean, I I think that's a, it's actually a good thing. All right, it's uh, it, it means that you're it means that you're engaging uh, with with your audience. And you know what? Uh, as they say, any press is good press. You're right. You have to let it uh, roll off you like water off the back of a duck, as I like to say. It's very similar to um, it's very similar to, to the attitude you have to adopt when you're uh, in sales, when you're selling insurance. You know, every no gets you one step closer to the next yes, and so every uh, every comment that's questioning what you're doing in social media or online uh, is one step closer to somebody who says, "Wow." you really made my day with this post. This is great stuff. Yeah, and so that post is titled A Tale of Customer Experience and and Marty is uh relating some service related and customer experience related things in the airline industry to uh some similarities that he saw in the insurance industry and I think just by prefacing it in that way you may already understand some of the reasons why uh Marty got some pushback, but I think that's good, right? Uh you know, I, I do think to a certain extent, uh, your job, my job, and the work that we do at Agency Nation is absolutely to educate and hopefully to entertain and hopefully to inspire, but it also is to agitate a little. And I don't mean agitate like in the complete negative sense. I just mean, you know, I think this is a platform meant to kind of churn up ideas and not every idea that you or I express is going to be 100% accepted or even 100% accurate in terms of its depiction of what's actually happening, right? This is your view on the world, my view on the world, any of our other contributors, and everybody else who's reading the articles and participating is going to have a slightly different view, and it's it's kind of where all those different viewpoints cross that I think um, the, the, the correct solution or the... The, the, the right path for today t- tends to materialize. So um, I don't think that, you know, when you're creating for your insurance agency, it's, it's obviously going to be a little different. You want to be maybe a little more geared towards straight 
entertainment or education. You want to be helping people understand uh, what they're doing, answering their questions, entertaining if you can, if you have that ability or that willingness uh, to put yourself out there. But it's okay to share your ideas in a non-offensive way and, and put them out into the world and, and let people respond and have a differing opinion. It's, it's ultimately how real conversations are supposed to happen. You know, actually, actually, Ryan, that's um, that that's that's a strategy that you can employ is to take a somewhat controversial subject and take a very um, non-traditional line on that subject to start conversation. Because what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get your audience to think about what you're posting. You don't necessarily have to have them agree with you, but what you want them to do is to begin to think about the topic in a deeper way, which may ultimately get them to think the way you do, or it may get them to create a different opinion, but it certainly um, adds value to their um, perception of that of that issue. Yeah. So... I think uh, I think the point and why I wanted to share that is just uh, we have to be creating and putting stuff out into the world. We want to do it with a purpose, but we always have to understand that everything you do, even something as benign as a cover photo for a, for a YouTube video that talks about content marketing, right? It's only a two-minute video talking about a relatively benign topic. I mean, it's an important video. I hope everyone listening goes and goes and watches it and takes takes in the the content there, but. Uh, it's not like we're addressing some religious or political idea, and someone still felt the need to, to throw a little, throw a little, um, little hate out there. And the thing is, that's always going to happen. It's completely okay. Brush it off, move on, and and keep creating. Um, no one person's opinion is ever going to be exactly the same as yours, nor should it be. And that's completely okay. It's that work over time that will draw in the people. And this is why content marketing is so powerful. Hugo Topping is not a audience member of mine or Agency Nation, right? Obviously, if he thought that about that video, one, he didn't know that that shot was me, so he obviously doesn't know the work very well, and two, um, he didn't appreciate it. So that's fine. He's not part of my audience. He's not part of the Agency Nation audience. You move on. Find people who are, who do appreciate that or get it or are interested in in it. So that's okay. I don't want to beat that up anymore because we do have a lot that we want to talk about with disruption, but uh, I just thought that was kind of a funny anecdotal thing that happened like 15 minutes before we were going to record, and and uh, I'm glad that you were into sharing that, Marty. So, uh, okay, so let's move on. So, you know, the topic, the title of the presentation we'll be given on Friday is disruption: How to prepare our industry for the fight of its life. And when um, Romberg and Diane Mathis uh, from uh, Act Ron's uh, executive director of ACT and Diane is with Invest. When they act, asked us to be part of their uh, portion of the leadership conference and speak on the idea of rup- disruption, I, uh, Marty and I were both very excited because it is a it is it is it is a topic that I think is often misunderstood and something that people get confused with other ideas and ultimately. Our ability to prepare our businesses for the disruptions and disruptors that are coming, and in some cases are, are already starting to impact our industry, is really going to be 
one of the foundational items that keeps us striving and not just surviving. So Marty, why don't you kick us off by, by just talking a little bit. Let's set the baseline for these, for some of the words that we're going to be using here and some of the dis, uh, definitions of some of the words that we're going to be talking about uh, throughout the course of, of our talk today. Certainly. Um, when we talk about disruption, sometimes there's uh, confusion as to exactly what that means. And so um, I want to compare and contrast innovation with disruption. And innovation is, is the ongoing improvement uh, that, that takes place everywhere. So a classic innovation uh, in insurance um, you know, to, to get right to the heart of our the heart of our topic, um, flood has been an excluded peril on property policies forever, and yet at some point somebody uh, got the great idea that you know what, every once in a while some water gets into a basement here and there. Um, let's add a little backup of sewers and drains coverage into our policy. Now that doesn't take away the flood exclusion, but it clearly is a flood-like peril that's now being covered on a homeowner's policy, uh, property policy. So it's very possible uh, that what was once not at all able to be handled without purchasing a separate flood policy is now uh, a part of a significant number of insurance companies' policy form. So that's what we'd call an innovation. So, when By the way, Marty, I give you incredible props for pulling out a policy form item as an innovation. That, that right there deserves like a round of applause, which I'm not going to give you right now because we're on a podcast, but that was very good. Okay, good. All right. So, so, so the definition of innovation is a new method, idea, or product which improves upon an existing process or product. So it is something, some new concept that improves whatever it is that we're working on. And, and, and so we can do methods. So we do new things. Maybe we underwrite in a new way, right? It's an idea that we come up with or it's a new product. Um, so it, it might be a cyber liability policy, right? So those are innovations. Those are, those are the things that, that marginally or, you know, dramatically improve. But it's not disruption. So when we talk about disruption, this is, this is one of these items when it comes into your business or an industry, it literally stands that um, business or industry on its head, okay? And um, when we define disruption, what we talk about is, is that, that issue that when it comes in, it causes you to make a fundamental change in your business strategy. In other words, it's, business as usual is no longer okay. All right? And, and so I've got a quote here uh, that I'd like, to, that I'd like to, to, to tell you about this disruption. What such a disruption does to a business is profound, and how the business manages this transition determines its future. So it is so... It is such a big thing that if you, as a management team, don't address it properly, you are going to know it as uh, things move forward in the future. 
and this is why we wanted to spend time with you guys and talking to you about the idea of disruption today because Marty, could you actually read that definition again? That that is it really does set the tone for what we're recommending to all our friends and colleagues and peers out there in the in the insurance industry. Sure. So our definition of disruption is that which causes you to make a fundamental change in business strategy. And now the quote. What such a uh, transition or disruption does to a business is profound. And how the business manages this disruption determines its future. See, what I love about that quote, uh, and, and who's that quote by? Uh, that is Andrew Grove, who is the former chairman and CEO of Intel Corporation. They are a, uh, a microchip manufacturer. And many of you probably have uh, PC-compatible uh, uh, computers that have an Intel chip inside. There's a little logo on your box. So the thing I like about that quote uh, is that Basically, what he's saying is that you can't def- you can't put walls around your business and and not have disruption impact you. This is more like a tidal wave. It's coming, and you can either ride the wave or get obliterated by it. And that how you manage riding that wave is really the key to how far or how high your success goes. So I and so that kind of takes me into. So let's talk about some examples, right? Let's. Let's talk about, I'm talking about a very basic example, the horse-drawn buggy, horse-drawn buggy. The innovation to a horse-drawn buggy was better ball bearings that allow a single horse or a team of horses to have less, there's less friction, so the horses can travel further, faster, with less wear and tear and less strain on their bodies, and ultimately help uh, a horse-drawn buggy go farther uh, or quicker than it would have. That would be an innovation. The disruption is when Henry Ford comes in and says, I am going to create a horse-drawn buggy that doesn't need the horse. And I'm going to mass produce it and make it easily accessible to everyone so that everyone who so chooses can have a horse-drawn buggy that doesn't have a horse. So now you don't have to worry about man, you know, stabling horses, feeding horses, Cities don't have to worry about horse poop everywhere. And this is a disruption to a culture, to a business. If you're a horse-drawn buggy business and you don't know how to make an engine, you no longer are in business at this point. So, very simple example. Um, you know, we, we have some other examples, but I think the, the, real, the real concept here is that a disruption changes the nature and culture of an industry, how business is done, what people, what people think about a business, right? The fax machine, not a disruption, just a different way to communicate. That was just an innovation on communication. The iPod taking, going from 16 songs on your CD to 16,000 songs on a, on a little tiny stick that fits into your pocket was a complete disruption because no longer did you have to transfer, uh, um, music via a physical object like a record or cassette tape or an 8-track or a CD. Now, music could be completely transacted digitally onto one device that you could have your entire library with you at all times. It completely changed the dynamics of the, of the music industry. So these are disruptions versus innovations, right? The CD was an innovation on the cassette tape. 
the iPod was a disruption on the music industry. The, the, the incredible thing about disruption is not only does it reorder um, the, the existing business environment, it also creates a huge new opportunity in all sorts of potentially non-related areas. So going back to our um, auto, auto example, all of a sudden now there's a need, we don't clean up the horse poop anymore, but there's a need to refuel those gas guzzling engines. And so multiple fortunes were created as the petroleum industry went from something that was, you know, a curiosity to the juggernaut that it is today. Yeah. So, Marty, you, you found, uh, when we were researching this, you found this really cool idea, which I think uh, kind of sets the framework for talking about uh, this idea of the new normal, which, which we're going to spend the remainder of the episode talking about. But uh, it's the concept of digital lapping. And uh, I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit, because I think this is, this is really a, a keystone to our conversation. Absolutely. So as I thought about um, what's been transpiring in our industry over the last, you know, literally 10 years, what I realized is that there have been a number of changes that have been taking place at the insurance buyer level, which individually might have been seen more as innovation. Um, but if we put them all together, it's created an opportunity for disruption to take place because there are so many um, new opportunities, new perceptions of value, and new technologies that can address these things um, that it has created a platform, a foundation, if you will, for disruption to take place, and what what I propose is that we are at a we are at a spot now where the insurance marketplace is ripe for disruption because of all of these changes that have taken place with the insurance consumer. Now, when I say consumer, I am not only talking about personal lines; I am also talking about business insurance consumers as well. But what we have taken to calling. Um, this, this, this whole group of changes that have taken place is, as Ryan said, the new normal. We believe that the new normal is creating a foundation for disruption, for this disruption to take place. And, you know, really, the, the, so why should we care about that, right? And it's this idea of digital lapping. The, and, and so basically, the, the, the concept of digital lapping is where the, the elder generation resist change to the point where uh, the the younger generation, the next generation coming up behind them, actually passes them in the ability to uh, get work done by using different technology and different innovation and disruptions. They actually move past that generation in terms of their productivity and ability to communicate and, and all the things that are necessary. And that's why this becomes such an issue, is that we have senior members, experienced, successful people who are essentially being most likely for the worse, right? For the worse of the industry are being lapped. And the younger generation is looking at their methodology as, as archaic and, and blowing past them without learning the lessons 
that are so important to be passed down, right? That, that uh, apprenticeship mentality that allows for perpetuation inside an industry, that is in some cases not happening because the, the elder generation is so far behind in terms of using these, this, this new technology and, and just new thought process and, and the whole way that uh, kind of this, these disruptors are starting to change our culture that the younger generation is moving past them and not looking back. And that's a bad thing. And that's what we're trying to warn slash fight against in terms of uh, this, this whole presentation and this whole idea of disruption. So, so let's get into some of, these, um, some of these ideas that are creating the new normal. Um, the first one that, that we had talked about, Marty, was social media. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how social media and just, just the whole digital social uh, culture that has formed is changing and, and, and created this idea of a new normal? Sure. And, and, and this, you know, this, uh, this, this change has actually been probably taking place for, for 40 or 50 years. And it goes back um, to the 60s and 70s. And the younger generation's um, innate distrust of government and big business. And that has recently morphed not only into distrust of, of, of government and big business, but also um, marketing. People are very, very good um, detectors of marketing. And so what's happening is as those things, and, and now I'm, I'm moving into the, into the business uh, environment. So, so as, as we lose trust for big business and we don't believe any of the marketing that's coming at us, um, it's created this vacuum. And so what's stepped in to fill that is actually um, social media. So now it is very normal for you to distrust the message you see in the big media that's being placed there by the advertiser and going to somebody who you may not even know. It might be our buddy Hugo that's giving you a, rep, uh, a recommendation on something that you're researching, that you're thinking about, uh, that you want to make a purchase decision on. And so the, the, the rise of social media and that, um, that ability to go outside your, you can certainly stay inside your circle, but you can also go beyond your circle of, of what I'd call friends and, and close contacts and get out there to receive um, unfiltered feedback is a real opportunity, uh, it, it, and, and it's changing the dynamic of the way purchase decisions are being made. And it's just basically the whole concept, the circle has moved, right? The no longer on a Friday night does, you know, it, are you going to the local, you know, uh, country club or bar or bowling alley and communicating with friends on a regular basis in that space? What you're doing is is having those same communications, but you're having them on a tool like Facebook or Twitter or whatever your preferred social media space is. And in that way, the conversations have moved. They're still happening. You know, that's, that's the interesting part that I think people forget about is that it's not that the conversations aren't happening. They're still happening. Like our culture isn't degrading because people aren't going to the bar and hanging out with each other anymore. The conversations are still happening. The recommendations, the the experiences, they're all still being shared. They're just being shared on Facebook 
in a place that's captured forever. And then companies have built tools around capturing those recommendations and reviews and ideas and photos and, and experiences and provide ways to share them with more people. So, you know, this, this whole idea of kind of the social customer experience is, is one that, that this is the new normal. This isn't a fad. This isn't something that's coming. It's not something you need to prepare for. This is something that's here today. And, you know, one of the reasons that this idea of the new normal is so important is that this is impacting your business today. This isn't, we're going to talk next episode about the actual disruptors that are coming. We're just talking today about the things that are here, that are already impacting your business in either a positive way if you're embracing it or a negative way if you're not. And, you know, I I think the next one, Marty, and and this is where I want to go, is is millennials. So here's the first thing I'm going to say. Millennials are not 17. I'm 34 years old. I'm a millennial. I'm the first year of the millennials. So I have a house. I have two cars. I have a great credit score, a good job. I'm a great risk for someone, but I very much have a millennial mindset. And the more that I read about millennials and learn about them, the more I realize that I, in so many ways, uh, other than the fact that I'm a <clears throat> registered Republican, I, I am a millennial. I just am. And, you know, so here, here's an interesting stat that I found the other day, and I actually shared this on the Agency Nation uh, Facebook page, which uh, if you're not connected with us, Lots of great stuff there, stuff from us, but a lot of stuff from other, other companies and other ideas as well, like this stat that I found on Think with Google. Uh, you can connect with us, facebook.com forward slash agency nation. Connect with us there. So here, here's a, this is a stat. I only shared this on, on Facebook, this stat, but it's, it's very cool. 67% of millennials agree that they can find a YouTube video on anything they want to learn. So think about that. Instead of going down to the local hardware store and asking John's Hardware, the guy who's been there for 40 years, how to fix their sink, they watch 10 10 YouTube videos. Instead of going to the bar and asking their friend or the bowling alley or the country club or whatever meeting place that they used to go to, who they use to solve their insurance problems, they're going to YouTube or they're going to Facebook. And they're, try- they're figuring out who their friends use and, and who's a good resource and who's not going to scam them or scheme them from, from YouTube or social tools or, or who, whose Instagram they've been following. And, and there's so much more than that. It's not just about that tool. It's about the information that people are sharing in that space. That's how they're choosing providers. And it's not just fixing sinks. It's not just how to, how to uh, do yard work. It's every aspect of their life. They're using these tools and, and the millennials want to choose. They want this millennial mindset, which I think is, is really a bigger idea of the connected generation. But this millennial mindset is, is they want to, they're empowered people. They're not their previous generation where I'm going to work for big corporate. I'm going to put my head down, put in my time and the company's going to take care of me. That is never going to work with millennials. They want to feel empowered, even if they haven't earned the right to be at the highest level. And for both working in our business and for, and for capturing these people as consumers, understanding the millennial mindset is already here. It's the new normal. You're either embracing it or you're not. 
The one thing that I want to add to this uh, discussion on millennials is I saw an interesting fact uh, last week, which is the millennial generation has now become the largest demographic segment by count in the United States. So as um, as the baby boomers age and, uh, you know, honestly, leave the planet, um, the millennials are now the number one generation in terms of numbers. Yeah, and, and so it's just, you know, I think there has been this, uh, this mindset that we as an industry have had that we always view the millennials as being 17, right? That's just not the case anymore. There, there is actually a new generation, which I don't even know what it's called, but there's a new generation coming in that's different from the millennials. So uh, we need to start to embrace these ideas. They're the, the, the culture that the millennials are creating in our country, whether you agree with it or not or whatever, whatever reason you have for not taking this on, uh, they're here. They're making big buying decisions. And in many cases, they are the consumers that we want to capture first because they're in buying mode. They're in stuff acquisition mode right now. And if we don't capture them at the beginning and get them into the independent agency system now so they understand who we are and what we do and the value we provide, they're going to grow up on Geico and State Farm and Allstate and these direct and captives that, and, and they're going to think that's the way it should be done. And they're never going to give us a shot. So uh, I think we beat that up pretty good. I just, real quick, the thing that got me the most riled up in my career, what, what really drove me down this whole path and to come up with the idea of the connected generation is I had a 26-year-old walk into my office when I was still an agent. This was probably three or four years ago, five years ago now, um, who walked in. Uh, he was referred to me. I did business with him, sat down across the table with me. Uh, we, we communicated the entire time via text message, by the way. So the first time he ever saw me in person or talked to me with his voice was when he came in to sign the paperwork, came in, sat down. We had a nice 45-minute conversation, signed all the paperwork, pushed it back across the table, handed me a check because can't take credit card for personal lines, God forbid, um, and, and he says to me, Ryan, you know, this place is, this place is pretty cool. This is, this is like a good thing. And I said, what do you mean, man? And he said, you know, I, I thought these places were just for like grandfathers and stuff. And he's talking about independent insurance agency. He thought these places were just for grand, his words, grandfathers and stuff. Great account. Still with the agency today, five years later. So the millennial mindset, this group of people, we have to embrace them. I, I, I've said that so many times in the last six years that like, it, like almost, it almost creates pain for me to say it again. But it just we should not be questioning what they're, how they want to do business. They are the future of our industry, both from the standpoint of growing our industry as, as, as part of it and as consumers. So let's, I, we beat the crap out of that. I just, I'm going to jump back down off my soapbox, Marty, and we can move on. Um, so where do you want to go next? We got a couple left. We, I guess we don't have to hit them all because uh, uh, you probably don't need to to get the point across. But uh, no, what do you, uh, where do you want to go next here? So as long as we're getting on soapboxes, I'm getting on mine. Okay. Um, 
everybody who's listening to this uh, to this podcast, or at least most of you, are insurance professionals, and every single one of us um, understands that. Yes, there are differences between insurance policies. Heck, we just talked about one earlier, right? Does your does your uh, homeowner's policy include backup of sewers or drains? But the honest truth is, while we know that and value that, the con- that is noise to the consumers, right? There's five letters that basically describe this phenomenon. T-L-D-N-R. Ryan, what does that mean? Too long, didn't read. That's exactly right. And so the point being here is we can talk till we're blue in the face about how there are policy differences. Okay? That is not going to resonate with the new consumers. Our competition, whether we like it or not, has defined the discussion. Now, after we've got somebody in active discussion, we can begin to educate them on the differences in policies. I am by no means, and if you come away from this call saying, Marty says we should sell the cheapest, most god-awful policies on the face of the planet, you are not getting my message. What I am telling you is, trying to explain to somebody who doesn't care why we're doing what we're doing because we're different. If that's the first point of discussion, their mind shuts off and they're on to their next thing. All right? I understand it. You understand that there are differences in coverage, but that can't be how we initially work with consumers. And the problem we have today is that is our go-to message all the time. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny that you say that, that you bring this up because, um, you know, it, we were working on our we were working on our presentation slides for this, and I was like, you know, I, how do we how do we define this point, right? Like, how do we how do we define this in a slide? And and uh, if anyone's ever been to one of my presentations before, you know that I like I hate more than anything bullet points, right? Just bullet points drive me nuts. So we wanted to find an image. And what we came across, and uh, maybe I'll share this uh, in the show notes again, uh, agencynation.com forward slash podcast, episode 11, um, was this this shot of the general. So everyone's listening is probably familiar with the general. They're like the worst, worst animated commercials in history, but they keep running them. And I found this graphic, and the general's got a microphone, and there's a bunch of blue-collar guys with hard hats, and they're standing, listening to him, and just in big letters right next to the, gen- the general is uh, fast quote, two minutes or less, anonymous. So the general's entire, entire sales pitch is anonymous quote in two minutes or less. And you could be saying to yourself, which I know every single agent who's listening to this is saying, and probably every carrier professional and everybody is saying, but Ryan, that's not our business. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Is that, you know, you, you've probably heard something this to effect before. But in, when there is a void of true leadership around a topic, people will listen to whoever is talking. So when the general or Geico or whoever spends 
hundreds of millions, billions of dollars to blast this message out into the world, this is the way everyone thinks, your clients included. Maybe you have the, the guy or the woman who's been with you for 30 years, and but I'm telling you, they're still impacted by this messaging. When this stuff flashes in front of them, there is a piece of them, maybe not a big enough piece today to ever act on it, but there is a piece of them that says, I wonder, I wonder if I could get something cheaper on Geico. I wonder if I could get the same coverage. I wonder if that general is legit. I don't have to give them my email or anything. It's anonymous, so maybe that's worth a try. And the issue is that if, if we're not creating and, and telling this story, if we're not out in the world using social media and all the things that we talk about in marketing, if we're not doing that work, then this is what our clients are seeing. And it can't. these guys are not just advertising to the people that independent insurance agents don't want to write, right? It's not like they have targeting that says, ooh, no, that's an independent insurance agency client. We're not going to market to them. They're marketing to everybody, your clients included, and you are fooling yourself if you believe that your clients don't care about price or ease of business or speed of doing business. These things are incredibly important to your clients. They may pay, put up with our inability to deliver on those things because they like us or there's some relationship, but that doesn't mean that they don't want them. I'm going to go to one last thing. We're going to hit it pretty quick uh, before we kind of round, round this whole thing up. But um, I want to talk about the rise of self-service uh, in, in, in our lives, you know, going back right back to our, um, automotive disruption that we talked about, uh, earlier in, in the podcast, there used to be a time when you went to a gas station and a guy in a squeaky clean suit came out and pumped your gas and washed your windshield and checked your oil. But none of that happens today. We pump our own gas. We go to the grocery store and we check our own groceries out using scanners. Why do we do that? Because it's easier and it's faster and we've been conditioned to do it. And if you think those changes aren't coming to the insurance industry, there's a train that's about to smack you right in the forehead. Yeah, and the issue is it, it's, it's already happening. I mean, um, some of our direct and, and captive uh, competitors are, are already provide very, you know, across the board self-service if people so choose. Uh, now, there's, there's a lot of stats that people want to, you know, do still want to talk to a human being when they actually make the purchase, but there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of different stats around the idea that uh, once people make that initial purchase, they want to go back to self-service. So they want to do quotes and comparisons and shopping and all that kind of stuff on their own. Once they choose their provider, they dip in, they talk to the human, they, they, they make the transaction, and then after that transaction, they're back out into self-service. That is here. That is already happening. And if you feel clients leaving you for the Geikos and, and some of these others... That is a piece of it, right? It, it, all of this new normal. These are new normal. These are not things 
you know, Marty, you said it's a freight train coming down the tracks. This is a freight train that's already passing by, right? This is happening right now. Um, I had to convince my wife not to do a full loaded cart self-service the other day, right? I was like, I, you know, let's, let's, let's just use the person for this one because there's the bagger at the other end and, you know, I would have to become the bagger if it was self-service. But, you know, this is, this is the mentality and uh, it's already here. This is the new normal and the, what's happening is, and, 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 and this is kind of the final idea and we'll wrap this up, is that the reason we shared these new normal ideas with you, and I know this has been a longer episode, but uh, these are some really important concepts, is that these concepts, and, and there are others, but these concepts are here impacting us today. And what they're doing is setting the stage for the major disruptions that could potentially come. We see them. We're going to talk about them. They're out there. Uh, you know, If you come back and, and listen to episode 12, the next episode, uh, you're going to hear us dive into those disruptors. But this, these, this new normal, these concepts are here impacting us today. They have set the stage. They have opened the door for the disruptors that could come in and change the entire way that we operate. And uh, we need to be prepared for it. So, Marty, any closing thoughts before we wrap this episode up? The only thing I would say is, you know, um, when you when you think about how we have gone from uh, a, a consumer that is willing to eat the message that's put out by the big marketing company that has everything done for us, that essentially um, doesn't have any resources to find out anything other than what we're being told and and where we are, where we have come, where we've got a new generation that grew up with technology. We've got always on um, capability anytime, anywhere to get what we want now, right? Online all the time. Um, We have the new shopping behavior. We have the fact that, like it or not, the message is, Price is what matters. Um, All of these things combined, they are creating this platform for somebody to come in with a different twist and completely disrupt the industry. And if and when that happens, it's going to be go time for all of us. We are going to have to figure out how we change our strategies. Because if we don't, it won't be a pretty picture. So this has been uh, kind of the first half of a presentation that we're going to be giving in at the leadership conference, the Big Eye Leadership Conference in New Orleans to a joint uh, Agents Council for Technology and Young Agents uh, presentation. Very excited for that. Should have uh, two or 300 people in the room. Um, come back next time. We're next episode, episode 12 of this po- podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes, that's a great way to stay up on all the episodes. Uh, we're going to dive into the disruptors that we see hanging out there, kind of you know, preparing themselves to come in and potentially impact. And we don't have a magic ball, uh, a magic eight ball. We can't tell you which ones will be the disruptors and which ones won't. We have our own ideas, but ultimately the stage has been set. Someone is going to come in and do something. And uh, we just want everyone, you guys listening to this, to be prepared for it and to have a culture inside your agency that is ready to take advantage of these disruptions because they don't have to be negatives. These can be things that become incredible positives for us. 
if we're ready for them. So uh, I am Ryan Hanley, as always. Marty, thank you for coming, buds. These are great conversations. Everyone listening at home, thank you. Subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, and we will see you next time right here on Agency Nation Radio.